And welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. It's Wednesday night, which means it is retro night, and I'm joined by the panel to go through some memorable games and maybe some not so memorable Wait. games between Newcastle United and Stoke City. So I'm joined by George and uh, Neil Mitchell, Steve Wilkinson, Steve Hasty, and Stu Penman. And as always, George kicks us off uh, with a trip down memory lane, George. Yes, as, as usual, I'm afraid. Uh, but these are actual matches I went to, so I've got to be faithful to the fact that these these are games I went to. Stoke City was a was a um, an ace for the for the Chicken Road Academy, as I call it, because uh, the boss of the academy was my grandfather, uh, uh, Thomas Davis Bryan, and the reason it is, is he was born in Stoke. In fact, he used to rejoice in telling people. He was born in Hanley, the place where Stanley Matthews was was uh, born. Um, so any any Stoke City or Stanley Matthews game that was within reach, um, he would go and he would he would drag us along. So that particular week, the the match in first of October, for Saturday first of October, nineteen forty nine, um, I was getting uh, Stoke City from uh, from breakfast time, supper time, and, and and all the things that were about that. Um, but before I start with the game, I'd like to talk about the two respective managers. The first one is is Bob McCory. That's the bloke on his own, Steve. The, the, that's him. He joined Stoke at <coughs> the same time as George Martin, our opera singing manager, joined Newcastle United. And the parallels with that, with their appointments was, was fascinating. Can you put George Martin, the team photo on with George Martin on? There he is with his Homburg on it at the left-hand side. That's George Martin, the, the, as I say, the opera, opera singing manager. Well, they joined their respective clubs within weeks of each other. And the, and the parallels of what happened when they did join are quite interesting. First of all, McGorry was a, was a um, fitness fanatic and also a great disciplinarian. And uh, he, he came across some very difficult times with the Stoke squad. Um, and of course, George Martin inherited a club players that couldn't play them all. I mean, we had, I mean, imagine joining a club where you've got centre forwards like uh, Roy Bentley, uh, Albert Stubbins, Jackie Milburn, uh, and there were at least two or three others, all uh, uh, Charlie Wayman, all international class players, and he, where he couldn't keep them all happy. Uh, so he decided on a um, to start to clear things out, and guess what? He sold was star player. Now, isn't that fair? Isn't that happened in Newcastle United before? George Martin actually sold a what star player. The, the, he also took the, the very brave act of not just selling him, but selling him to Sunderland, and that man was Len Shackleton. So Martin got rid of Shackleton because he perceived that a lot of the dressing room trouble was being caused. By Joe, by Len Shackleton, because he, he was a cynical sort of guy, 
and uh, used to go under people's skin quite a lot. And uh, and off and so off he went uh, to, to Sutherland. The parallel with McCory was he was having trouble with uh, people accepting his new fitness regime. Um, and one player had his own fitness uh, programme, that was Stanley Matthews, and he resented McCory trying to change that. So lo and behold, McCory just transferred him to Blackpool straight, straight off. The star player gone. So the, these two managers started their careers at their clubs in a very, very suspect way, but uh, but survived uh, for, for quite a while. McGorry was at Stoke for nearly 30 years. Anyway, the game, uh, 49,903 at St James's Park and uh, expecting a good game because Stoke at the time were pressing for the title. That's, that's the external of the programme. And I think the, the, the team sheets uh, on the next one, Steve, that's the teams that, that, that played. And you can see that uh, uh, Garbutt, Cavalli, Harvey, Brennan, Crow, Walker, Houghton, Milburn, Thompson and Mitchell, and uh, Bobby Mitchell. And uh, Stoke um, had a number of excellent players. Neil Franklin, right back, was a, was an international. Um, uh the two Mountfords, they weren't related, but there was uh, Frank Mountford and George Mountford. And the right winger, um, left winger rather, um, Bowyer, Frank Bowyer, he was an international as well. So people were expecting a very, very close game. Uh, but it was one of those games where somebody suddenly decided uh, that they would put a stamp on the game. And that somebody was a man called Jackie Milburn. And he just ran Stoke ragged. Um, he scored... The first goal himself, uh, and then Frank Houghton scored. Tommy Thompson scored in the second half. Uh, Frank Houghton topped it off just before the end with, with the second one. In between, just before half-time, Frank Bowyer scored for, for Stoke. Um, the crowd was uh, absolutely buzzing because of the, the form of, of Milburn. He, he was outstanding. Um, and it was, it was a nice big crowd. Have you got the crowd picture there, Steve, please? Yeah. And that's that's a, that's I don't think that's the exact crowd, but it's a similar crowd. And if you get in the crowd, you can see people waving their rattles. Well, uh, just to uh, just to add to that, okay, Steve. Just to add to that, there's a real one. There's a, there's a one that I, that still belongs to me. And this one went to this one went to two cup finals with Harry, uh, the, the the Arsenal and Blackpool cup finals. He hitchhiked all the way to Wembley to go to see the cup final and took this with him in his uh, old uh, REF knapsack, uh, along with his sandwiches. And I don't know how many sandwiches my mother gave him for a weekend, but it wouldn't, wouldn't be many in those days. Um, but uh, And it still works, by the way, but I'm not going to ring it in here. Um, take, it on, take it on Sunday, George, and give it a rattle. <laughs> oh, I wish I could. I w Sadly, I won't be there on Sunday, but never mind, that's another issue. Um but the, the crowd were just enamoured and, and really taken by the form of, of Milburn, who just turned Stoke inside out. Um, and uh, it's interesting that in that that was the team then. It could have been stronger. Neither of the Rob Lidos played in that team. They weren't they weren't anywhere near the team. Have you got the picture of the Rob Lidos, Steve? Please. Yeah. There's George and Ted there. Ted on the le on the on uh, the left and George on the right, um, and they weren't even in the team. So it, it 
particularly if George had played, it would have been could have been even more uh, goals scored. Interesting characters that there was agents in those days. Uh, their agent was their mother. Every every deal they struck, uh, their mother went with them. Wage discussions, mum went too, and uh, that's the way they were. Um, they went uh, back to uh, Chile eventually. Uh, George had a glowing career as a manager of various big clubs in Chile, but Ted was uh, was a highly qualified seagoing engineer and went back to sea. And sadly, that's that's where he ended his days. He he, he was found floating in a in a dockside somewhere in the United States, and people thought he'd, he'd been gambling and fallen out with somebody. But uh, they, those two uh, lads made a big impression on Newcastle and didn't even get in the team that day. Um, but that's the way Newcastle was at, the, at that particular time. And that's the kind of things that Martin, as the manager, had to try and sort out. Um, he did have a meeting with the whole team to try and uh, see what, what he could do to, to, to quell some of the transfer requests. And when it was over and it was uh, uh, reported in the paper, it wasn't Martin that spoke, it was the director. It was Herford. No, Dr. Rutherford that spoke. And he said, the players didn't have much to say. All they wanted to talk about was getting them better houses and better cars and that sort of thing. No mention of anything to do with football. Anyway, that's my first memory in 1949, 4-1 against Stoke City. And it was a memorable, memorable game. Great stuff, George, as always. And thanks for supplying the photographs. Uh, Steve Wilkinson, on to you. Good evening, everybody. I'm only going to go back a short time, uh, eight or nine seasons, to, to my first game tonight, which was March 2013. And it was, uh, if people remember, it was the um, season after we had our most successful time under Ashley when we finished fifth. And it, it should have been the time when we were pushed on. And uh, typical of Ashley, didn't invest on the success of the, the previous year. We, we'd, finished, we'd finished fifth. Um, well behind Man City and Man U, we were level on points, uh, 24 points ahead of us, but only only five <coughs> points behind Arsenal, four points behind Spurs, who finished third and fourth. So we're, we weren't a million miles away from the Champions League spots. Um, Denver Bar was had scored 16, Cissé 13, and, and Hettenbaum off for five and Kabai four. So, you know, the, the, apart from the main two scorers, the, you know, the rest weren't weighing in with too many, but it, there was other goals scored amongst the team. So... It was ideal chance to have pushed on, invested in the club to take it to the next level. And uh, typical of Ashley, he didn't do it. And so we're left with a quite a smallish squad for playing in the Europa League, which was uh, any, any club that's played in that has, has found a struggle to play Thursday, Sunday, Thursday with, um, with, a, with a reduced size squad. So uh, we were in the same boat. So uh, the game I'm going to talk about was the, the Stoke game, which was actually sandwiched between two uh, European games in, in March. Uh, Anzi Makachkala. Easy for you to say, Steve. I was going to say that. <laughs> I've been practising all afternoon and still haven't got it right. Um, that was the the last 16 round. Um, so we've done well to get to there. And uh, we, we'd, we'd drawn nil-nil on the Thursday. And then this game was the Sunday ahead of the uh, the, the second leg, which was only a week later on, this, on the Thursday night. Um so the game itself, uh, we, we, we dominated the first game. It was a very windy day. And uh, the, the problem with Stoke, I, I was terrified when we played Stoke because Peter Crouch was up there at a nine foot six or whatever height he is. And um, it was always uh, always a problem to uh, to handle him. But um, 
you know, we managed to hold off in the first half and uh, it went in at nil-nil at half-time. But um, the second half started and, and uh, after 67 minutes, um, Stoke got a penalty. Um, it was a foul by Teoti on Walters, John Walters, who... Uh, Does he go Took the penalty and, and, and put uh, put Stoke ahead, probably against the run of play, as it turned out, um, even though we weren't. Unfortunately, we weren't behind for too long. And... Um, the the next goal was a was a quite a memorable goal, um, which was a free kick by Kabai. Um, you know, Kabai, one of these players that are sadly we didn't get the best out of. He wasn't here long enough, I think. In the, you know the the sort of state the club was, and he, he went on as everybody knew to uh, to only Crystal Palace. It's a shame um, we could have got more years out of him. But um, interesting free kicks. I thought I'd got fouled and and. Uh, Stephen Taylor went to grab the ball and then he's, he's usually a cheeky self. He was having a bit of banter with uh, Begovic behind the goal. There's a classic of, of a fan taking a video on YouTube where it's, it's from behind the goal and you can see him almost mirroring the actions of Begovic as he's positioned himself. And Stephen Taylor was standing in front of him trying to put him off before. And I'm, I'm sure it had a, some impact. But I think even if he hadn't had that, the, the, the free kick was absolute precision. He just, he just lifted it over the wall and right in the top-hand corner, the, the sort of goal you drool over, uh, scored by, you know, Messi, if he'd scored, that would have been drooling. So there it was, Johan Kabay scoring and equalising in this game. And uh, we, we talked last week about the 10-minute the flag and uh, it's always bugged me that people leave the match before the end. Well, you shouldn't have left the match this game. Because if you left it at 90 minutes or 10 minutes from the end, you would have missed the winner, which was in the second minute of injury time. Um, and, and it was by Papi Sissi. Um, ball came in. Uh, Sylvan Marvel had come on a sub, slipped the ball into the uh, Sissi on the edge of the six-yard box, marginally offside. And I think, they, oh, well, maybe, you know, questionably offside, let's put it that way. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I don't like VAR, because... Uh, he, he lobbed it up, banged it in the bottom corner. Well, it just slid up his foot and slid in the net. The crowd goes berserk, but that's always the worry nowadays that you you know you accept that that was a goal because the referee pointed straight in the middle. These days, you've got to hang around, and it, it would have been one of these where they were drawing lines on the pitch, and you, you kind of properly separate, celebrate. And uh, there was a, a fantastic last minute winner, um, missed by anybody that left the game first. So um, that that was a that was a two one win. Um, we went on to to uh, win the, the second leg of the Europa League game on, thir- on the Thursday night. Amazingly, with another last-minute goal by Cissé again in the, in the 94th minute this time. So, again, if you left early, you missed that, which put us into uh, the, the, the final tie we've played over in, in the time that it's under on against Benfica. And uh, I, had a, I had a great day out in, in Lisbon myself, and I guess some of you guys went as well. Um <clears throat> So as far as the season went, uh, we, we continued to struggle, and, and uh, we ended up only finishing uh, 16th, which you know is, is below par if we're going off what last season was like. Only 41 points as well, less. We're ahead of Sunderland on 39, and then uh, teams uh, went down below us were were Redden and QPR and uh, Wigan, who were 36 points the maximum. So not a great season um, apart from the European adventures, but. Uh, Missed opportunity by Ashley, and uh, I'm sure you share my views that had we invested from that fifth, we would have done a lot better in the years to follow. So that's my story. Great, great stuff, mate. Steve Hasty. 
Good evening, folks. Uh, well, my game, I'm, go I'm going back to uh, March the 24th, 1967. It's not quite as far back as George went, but not <laughs> nearly, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. The reason I picked this game is uh, this was the second game that I went to at St. James's Park. The first game being Blackpool the week before. Um, so two games in a row, two games within six days, actually, because this game was played on a Friday night for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I suspect it could have been to do with the FA Cup. It could have been that in those days they perhaps decided that you couldn't have league games on the same day as an FA Cup ties, for example, because this was obviously coming towards sort of uh, fifth, sixth, and semi-final rounds where we're in March and the, the season's ending. I'm not. I'm not too sure. I'm sure. Uh, well, it's so Friday, some of the most historians among us will know. Steve, you might know. I think it was Good Friday. There you um, go. So, it, we, I think we played them again on the Monday in the away game, which was quite common uh -huh. to play. So there, yep. So there we were on a, on a Friday uh, watching the match. Um, and the reason, there was 39,000 turned up. And Steve, you're saying it's Good Friday. I think the, the vast majority of people turned up because we wanted to see George Easton. It was one of the first opportunities that Newcastle fans had had to see George since he came back, uh, since since he had left the club in around about 1960. But also, he'd been a member of the World Cup squad the year before. So now that now there was an opportunity for us to, to see George Eastham in all his glory. Um, it was a win. We won 3-1. Um, it wasn't a, a necessarily a great game. And, I, I, you know, as a young sort of seven-year-old, you... you you remember very little um, in those days. You know, you, you remember the smell. You remember going up on the bus. You remember some of the little bits and pieces around you in the ground. But as far as the game's concerned, you know, you're so little. Sometimes, you, you know, things are passing you by. But I looked up in the book and uh, John McNamee scored after eight minutes. <coughs> and then Noble scored after 58 Um Stoke came back with Burroughs after 70. And then uh, Noble popped up again on 85. So there we were, a 3-1 win on a Friday. Um, but that season itself, we, we finished 20th. There was only two who got relegated in those days, and we finished 20th. We only got 33 points. It wasn't exactly the, you know, the, a season covered in glory for, for Newcastle United. Um, but there were some interesting little snippets as I was reading, and I found out that um, at the end of the season, we played three... Um, excuse me, three friendly games towards the end of the season, once the season was over. I don't know what that's, that was all about, but Stoke actually went away to America and they turned themselves into some a club called the Cleveland Stokers. Now, the Cleveland, four, at least four of the first team became members of the Cleveland Stokers. And this was an attempt where they would play 12 games in America Um collective games uh, as a sort of start-up to what eventually became the NSL. Now, I looked, I looked, I, th I was fascinated by the fact that the likes of Gordon Banks went in 1967 to carry on playing. And not only did they carry on playing, but they played all the way through May, all the way through, through June and all the way through July. And then they would come back and so they got no, no close season. Bearing in mind, they'd also been playing 46 league games at this particular point. And we talk about players being tired and injured. But among the, among that <coughs> of of teams, there was um, <coughs> so there was representative teams. You had the Houston Stars, which were made up of players from Bangru Atletico of Rio de Janeiro. You had the Washington Whips, which were Aberdeen. I don't know where that come from. 
Um, perhaps some of the lads on the oil rigs now could explain what the uh, Washington whips are when they're spending their time in Aberdeen. I don't know. Um, the Chicago Mustangs. Um, that was Cagliari from Italy. You also had the Boston Rovers, which were Shamrock Rovers. Now, I can understand the connection there, Boston and yeah. Shamrock Rovers. Yeah. And then you had the Golden Gates, which were Den Haag of Holland. You had the New York Skyliners, which were Serio of Montevideo. You had the Detroit Cougars, which were Glen Torren, again, <laughs> of Ireland. Then you had three proper, well, I'm saying proper, three teams, established American teams in Toronto, the Dallas Tornadoes and the LA Wolves. And the, making up the rest of that league were the Vancouver Royals, Sunderland. I'm completely baffled, uh, but just looking up a little snippet about, about Stoke brings up all those crazy little facts. Um, <laughs> in that particular game. Now, the league, I, I was just going to round off by saying that the league in those days, obviously, it, it didn't differ very much. The the, the 42, uh, the, the, the 22 teams didn't differ very much from the league now. Like, the teams that are missing from today's Premier League, um, if we're playing, were Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, uh, West Brom, Forest, Fulham, Blackpool. You know, these are teams that are no longer in the Premier League. So, and then you've got, obviously, Stoke and Sunderland. But apart from that, the rest of the Premier League, uh, as it is today, sits exactly the same, the same clubs. So I know we talk about turnover in the Premier League and such like that, but uh, some big clubs there, some big names, um, teams that we always class as being established teams. You know, we're not talking about some of the, the teams that have just appeared on the on the horizon recently, your Brightons and your Bournemouths. You know, you're talking about established clubs like uh, West Brom, uh, Forest, um, Sunderland, even uh, and the two Sheffields, but uh, yeah, that was that was my first game, uh, the 1967, the return of George Eastham, and um, three very very valuable points that were needed at the uh, having having finished uh, the season in 20. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, Mitch, on to you, mate. So I'm going to take one a trip to Stoke, um, 11th of April. 2009, or, or as Biffa from .com eloquently says, a trip to Stoke is like a time-warp afternoon where all manner of Burberry-clad knuckle-draggers come out to play. And he, and he couldn't be further from the truth, really, to be honest with you, on any trip to Stoke. This was under Shearer, as he was trying to save her from relegation. This was, I think, about his third or his fourth game. He hadn't picked the point up yet. But one thing that was happening was change. He was working things out. Um, one of the more random things that was starting to happen was exercise bikes were appearing near the dugouts to keep people fit. And I think uh, that afternoon, I think Colacini was on the bench, I think, did the equivalent of the Tour de France on the exercise bike watching the game. Um, the other thing he was working out was players, and one of them was Oberfemi Martins, who trained all week, and then on Friday night at 10 o'clock called in sick and magically didn't make the game. Um, with a groin injury after having trained all week and he realised he had a groin strain at 10 o'clock on the Friday night. Um, and so you make of that what you will. The game itself was awful. We were forced to play a back four, which had three full-backs in it because of injuries as well. Um, and going to Stoke with the way they play and the height they've got in their team, almost the inevitable happened on 33 minutes when 
Abdullah Fai scored the first goal for them. Um, but to be fair to the back four and Steve Harper and goal, we put up a damn good fight. We cleared a couple off the line. I think Harper made a couple of point-blank saves. And even their corner was controversial because the ball didn't come off. Uh, uh, Happy Bay came off of uh, Ricardo Fuller, their striker, but that's maybe me being a whingy sod. Um, either way, we did really, really well. And then 81 minutes, Carroll had been on the pitch barely 10 minutes. And what a difference he'd already made. Um, he managed to scramble elite when Isaac forward. Mad celebrations. Um, fantastic afternoon. Late afternoon, early evening in the sun, as you can see. Um, Shearer's first point, and it was the first first sign that maybe we've got a bit of hope here because the team actually showed that they had a bit of passion and fight. Um, but maybe that was because he was weeding out the ones who weren't up for that fight and were just there to take their money. Um, the overriding memory of that game, though, around about that time, um, Stoke were being held up as having the loudest ground in the country. Um, now, myself and Jamie Fender were sitting together in our end, and one thing we noticed halfway through the first half was you could hear the Stoke fans behind it, which was unusual because there was no Stoke fans behind it at all. Um, and you could say, oh, it's acoustics. Well, that's odd in a ground that has two open corners. I've been in Arrowhead Stadium, the loudest ground in the NFL, and I can tell you what a loud ground sounds like um, and what happens with acoustics and that's an open bowl but it doesn't have open sides we are convinced to this day and you can't tell me otherwise that how Stoke got their volume up was backfeeding it through the PA system there was no way this, the noise could be coming from behind but without that and if you listen very carefully there was more than just an echo um, I think it was very cleverly done by someone but I'm convinced they were feeding back feeding crowd noise through the PA. But to be fair, that was all we could talk about on the way, way home. Um, was this so-called loudest ground in the country? And to be fair, we've heard louder at Roca Park, if we're going to be really honest. Um, but that was that's my first game. The season didn't end terribly well, but that was the first glimmer of hope and the first weeding out of a few bad apples in the barrel. Great stuff. Okay, Stu. Uh, on to you for your first recollection. Well, it's nice to see John from QTech in the mm -hmm. chat and get well soon, mate, as quick as you can. And uh, I was just laughing because I was going to mention how far George go back, but you know, if you're playing Trumps, he just plays his Trump, Trump, Trump card every first up every time, doesn't he? So I'm going back to the game that people have mentioned in 1995. He's like 40 years beyond that. <laughs> you can't even, you can't even, can you? So uh, I thought I'd uh, have a little thing as Steve Hasty mentioned in the 3-1 because as you know I put a tenner on 3-1 every game so I wonder if he put a tanner on that game <laughs> get me cut So we're back to the 25th of October 1985 it's the third round of the League Cup uh, it's the old Victoria ground before the bet 365 proper cup atmosphere for the midweek uh, fixture and it was fueled because we were the acknowledged as the best team in the country at this stage. Uh, and October, obviously 25th, it's, it, October is <laughs> nearly finished. And uh, we've only been lost. I think we've lost only once that season so far. You know, so, so we're doing really, really well. But I need to take you back to the beginning of that day. Uh, this time, uh, half day from work, I went with uh, Darren, who I've mentioned a few times. We got picked up from the Howlett instead of the Sport Norms, so like we're going up in the world. 
And there was a guy that worked used to work with us called uh, Simon Howarth. And the, one of the minibuses picked him up, well, the one I was in picked him up from Burley. So you can imagine with a, with a certain criteria of supporters. And by the time we picked him up from Burley, we hadn't got far past Washington Services. And uh, Simon turned around, he went, this is the best away trip I've ever been on. Because <laughs> <laughs> of the special cigarettes and the amount of alcohol that was available on the bus. So um, on, the, on the way down... We stop off at a place, and I still can't remember how it's pronounced. It's either Sandbach or Sandbach, depends on which part of the country you're from. So there was a, it's a little town, but there was a, like a quiet village place, and we stopped off in this pub, which was a village pub, to be fair. You know, it's one of those where you expect a, if you had a bit on this side, you'd take it there for a, for a meal, and you know, no one would know you were there, sort of thing, apparently. And. <coughs> So, rumour had it anyway. <laughs> Not that I'd travel that far, but anyway, so we, we went into, uh, into this bar, 40 of us, and we're all steamed up off the bus and we'd, in whichever shape or form you want to be steamed up. And they, they didn't know what had hit them. You know, you can imagine, like, everyone just shouting Newcastle songs. There was no one there to even, like, to tease or bait. So, the, the, the bar staff were very happy, though. Well, the owner was behind the bar. He was delighted with the amount of service and the speed that people were drinking. Because we were told we had like 90 minutes to drink as much as we can. So it was like one of those, like, you've only had five pints, what's wrong with you? So me and Darren end up playing on the fruit machine until the, I won't mention the guy's name because he might use it. He, the usual suspect comes across with a crowbar and asks us to just keep playing the machine and while he shuffles behind it and goes to work with his crowbar and then empties the machine. To the point that we're saying, they, hang on, we've just lost some money. He said, how much have you lost? And it was 12 quid. So he says, well, there's 20. That'll keep you happy. I said, no, 12 quid each. So we ended up getting 20 quid each, which was quite happy in those days. They were uh, happy enough for that. End up there, uh, that, that bar probably had more takings in that 90 minutes than they would have had all week, I would imagine. But it did lose some money from behind the machine. So then we, we get back on the buses and headed to Stoke. And Stoke were a bit famous for their... Naughty, naughty 40, I think they've nicknamed themselves. Uh, and the, the, we got stopped just on the outskirts, maybe it's about two miles from the ground. You can see the front lights in the, in the distance. And uh, we got stopped by the police for a stop and search. Now, I can only think that the, the constabulary in Stoke, or oh, Staffordshire, isn't it? Wherever they're Stoke, yeah. that they, they must have been blind policemen because. They searched the bus and either found nothing or decided it was best to say they found nothing uh, and we were to carry on. And just as uh, the, they got off the bus, they got a radio through to say that there was a lot of trouble and uh, yeah, the ground and no more vehicles were to get in, uh, which was like music to the ears to the people on our buses and that emptied the bus as quick as I've ever seen a bus get emptied. You know, they're all fueled up and off they went searching for a bit of fun. So eventually we get inside the ground and it was a full house. Uh, like a Wednesday night cup game was it was a it was a full house. You know you, you know those games. Remember when you could smoke in the grounds and you could see the smoke where the front lights were and everything else. It was like that, uh, and that it was a proper proper good atmosphere. The 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 game to me it was it was just a game of Newcastle keeping the ball. That's the game they were playing. We'd play a keep ball. And Stoke were playing a game of let's kick Janola as often as we can. 
And we were having, we had the away strip on that everyone raves about. I still think our yellow one was better, like that we were at Man United with. That's another debate. Uh, and eventually, some lad got set off for kicking Girola one too many times. And that was to even that at that stage, we were nils each, but we knew that was game over as, as a contest. And then uh, Sexy Peter Pedro put us ahead. Um, with the first, it was good work, I believe, by Warren Barton. And, and Beers like jumped off the floor and rifled one in with his left foot. And that put us one up. And not long after that, he, he doubled the lead and doubled his, his goal tally when uh, he got put through. And he was a bit fortuitous. Like the ball bounced off him and then it bounced off the centre half's leg. Fell to Beers, but again with his left foot, put it straight into the, the corner out the keeper's reach. So we're now 2 0 up. And someone said in the chat that uh, uh, Keith Gillespie Dizzy had had a, had a bet in the game. Well, as long as he bet Newcastle win, his money was safe that day. Uh, no, I wasn't on the clip. I was on a, a bus, where many buses from the Howlers. The, the third goal was Les Fernandes, who at the time was his 12th goal in eight games, which broke a club record at the time. I know we're all talking about Willock playing on Sunday and scoring his eight and eight. But this was eight in all competitions, obviously, because this was a cup game. But 12 goals in eight games. Uh, so he put one away. And as we were known as the entertainers, the, uh, the the fourth goal was scored by the person who was the most forward on the pitch for us. And that was good. Again, good work by Gillespie and, and by Beardsley. But the person more forward on the pitch, can you name him? Any of you name him? Sam Peacock. Yeah, <laughs> Darren Peacock is <laughs> set off on the left wing <laughs> and edge of the six-yard box and tucks it away. I mean, you just, you, that's, that's how we were. So, yes, that we were game, the entertainers Steve, and it was probably... That game, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, that is the game that Keith Gillespie did have money on. And yeah. he said, if you watch the footage back on YouTube very closely, you will see all the players running up to celebrate with Darren Peacock, except for him, because he, he just cost him 70 grand. Wow. Oh. I'd say what, you would, have been, you would have been happy that the ball went to Peacock, of, any, of anyone, all the players on the pitch, like, give it to him. But, yeah, me, I didn't know that, that he'd lost 70 grand. I knew he'd had a bet in the game, but uh, not that much. <laughs> so they... they <laughs> So, uh, yes, we were the entertainers, but then we also had the, the chicken run back to the buses. And again, this is the time before mobile phones were popular and everything else. And people just used to have to use the savvy instead of using the navy, I suppose, as it is now. Is it the navigator and this, that, the other? So we, we eventually got back to the bus. We decided to skip the bar that we stopped off on the way back, on the way down. End up getting a, a chippy somewhere back in Newcastle early hours in the morning. All was good. Good time had by all. And uh, 4 nil up. We win the game. The next round, we're away at Liverpool. We win that. And you think, well, we're going to win the Cup. We have to with this team. But then and that was the Arsenal game we talked about right at the start of the retro, uh, where Lee Dixon decided that Ginola shouldn't be allowed to walk and they end up winning 2 nil. And that was it. That was, that's my first game. There's another T-shirt for John from Q-Tech to sort out when he's up his sickbed. Uh, using the savvy, not the navvy. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a classic, that like with an Umbro trainer on a gazelle or something like that. Aye. Okay, big shout out to the sponsor, Spider VPN, Google Spider VPN. 
Uh, they come up at the top of the Google search list and they will help protect your computer, stop people nicking your passwords, things off your computer. Just all round great protection from Spider VPN. Big shout out to them for their sponsorship for the last few months and skipsandbins.com. Telephone 0800 25 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website www.skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection. Uh, also, a big shout out to our other two main sponsors this month uh l and g family funeral directors 0191 389 uh, and darren baldwin funerals who's back with us for a month uh you can get in touch with him on 0191 478 or their website www.darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk big shout out to john at qtechshop.co.uk great to see him in the chat and uh, he's well on the road to recovery now uh, just keep uh, them feet open, keep resting, John. And also a big shout out to John at Jab Signature, the maker of all of our flyers. And uh, hot off the press is uh, this week's uh, Fab Four poster. Uh, drum roll for this one Young Guns. Hey. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Steve, you look dashing there. Yeah, it's a good one. Keith with hair, me with hair, and uh, Mitch doesn't look too different there next to Keith Sutherland. <laughs> But uh, Young Guns, yeah, love it. Uh, thanks to John. Thanks to John for that. If you're a first-time visitor to the channel, please subscribe. Hit the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner. Click the uh, thumb up to like the video, which is important to us. Click it to share, to share to your social media. Drop into the comments for like-minded chat with like-minded Newcastle United fans. And John also from QTech runs our website, nufcmatters.com. Uh, lots of T-shirts on there for people to get their hands on. And uh, Steve Wilkinson is modelling the Ryan Taylor over the wall T-shirt tonight, uh, which uh, is a good fit and uh, great to see him wearing that in Sunderland. And uh, <laughs> Thornmouse Kitchen presents an evening with me in Supermarket. Not many tickets left for this now. August the 19th. Tickets are a tenner. Get yourself onto the Farmhouse Kitchen in Gateshead. They will uh, tell you... Uh, how to buy the tickets and uh, just a reminder as well that um, I have got an evening with Newcastle Legends coming up of course at the Tyne Theatre um, and that tickets are still available on Groupon and on Voucher for that. Okay, back to you George for your second game mate. Okay Steve, um, quickly I'd answer one or two of the questions along the bottom. So one of the, the contributors said that Neil Franklin ended up in Chile well he did because along with England lost uh, infamously to United States 1-0 in the World Cup. And about six of the squad didn't come home they stayed in, in America. And they went to South America because they were tapped up by South American agents and became coaches in places like Chile and Peru. And guess what? Another one of them was a man called Charlie Mitten. And that has a, an impact on us because a few years later he comes home as our manager. Um, so that the guy that mentioned Neil Franklin going to Chile was absolutely right, but he wasn't alone. There was about five or six that just didn't come home. They stayed. They stayed in America and let the rest of the squad come home on their own. Anyway, that that that's an aside. Um, my next game is uh, Saturday, 18th of August, 1951. Um, it's a big game because we are uh, playing well in in in, in the. In the position to try and challenge for the for the league. Uh, Stoke were playing not very well in in the position to get relegated. So it was uh, it was going to be a, a quite a game. Uh, in fact, have you got the last program, Steve? I think there's the program uh, for this I have one. Mate. Yeah, I have mate. Yes, um, there it is. 
And lo and behold, the FA Cup's on the programme because we were the holders then, uh, which was quite good. Incidentally, I went on to eBay again. And both of those programmes, the one with the cup on is, is selling at the minute, if you've got a good quality one, for £25. And the first one that I put on is 20 quid. So there's some money in those old programmes. God, I must have thrown a fortune away when I left my mother's house. Never mind. Um, but I, that was uh, 51. We were cup holders. And uh, this game was, uh, um, as I say, important to them because they, they were looked like going down. Important to us because we had a chance to win the league. And uh, 47,000 and 47 in the ground. And... Uh, it was uh, quite a uh, quite a, um, a game. It was it was a fascinating game. But um, uh, as always uh, with some some of these games, taken over by one individual player, and that was George Robledo. Stoke just couldn't touch Robledo. He scored one himself. He made three for Jackie Milburn, one for Charlie Crow, and a uh, Bobby Mitchell got a, a late penalty. We beat them six nil. Um, and it was it, it was a it was a cakewalk, sadly. Um, but the, the the team was uh, was away from the uh, um, the cup team: Lowry and Goal, Cowell, Garbett, Harvey, Brennan, Crow, Walker, Taylor, Mitchell, Robledo, Milburn, Robledo, and Mitchell. Uh, and they just uh, ran Stoke ragged, even though they had. Uh, um, uh, Bowyer and, and Mountford still in their team, still still internationals and mould, an international defender. They just couldn't touch uh, George Robledo and he, he ran them absolutely ragged. Um, and incidentally, in the return game at Stoke, we beat them 5-4, which wasn't too many weeks later. And uh, the net result was that they ended up getting relegated and we ended up eighth when a lot of people thought we should have been a lot higher than that. And uh, how many times do we say to ourselves, well, what happened there? Well, there was a lot of questions in, in the Chicken Road Academy about uh, why we were only eighth when we could have been um, so much higher. It was eighth, but the, the difference between the points for eighth and the points for, for top two weren't that great, to be perfectly honest. But unfortunately... We had a habit of dropping the silly points at home uh, and not always away uh, to, to teams that were lower down than us. Um, but it was a fantastic game. And as I say, the uh, Melbourne hat-trick sent people home very happy. But the performance to uh, really uh, set the town light was uh, from George Robledo. By this time, of course, uh, our George Martin, our opera singing manager, had been uh, sacked. Uh, but Stoke still had Bob McCory as their manager, but had brought in a young a young manager called Arthur Turner, who was to become quite famous manager later on to, to help them uh, run the Stoke squad. Uh, but it wasn't long after this, uh, the relegation that uh, McCory uh, was uh, was sacked. But he came back a couple of years later to, to take Stoke again. So that was my second game, which was a memorable one. A 6 0 win in August 1951. Great stuff, George. Okay, Steve, on to you for your second game. Yeah, well, I'm coming right up to date as far as playing Stokes concerned because it was the 17 18 season uh, just four years ago when they ended up getting relegated uh, and we finished in 10th. Um, but at the time the game was played in September, 
we'd actually had a ropey start this season. We'd lost the first two league games and also got knocked out of the, the League Cup in the first hurdle by Notts Forest. Um, but uh, we actually went on a run of uh, three wins in a row, and, and this being mm. the third of those. And, and for uh, we were at the dizzy heights. I know the league table doesn't uh, bode much for the end of the season at this stage, but we're actually fourth. And it's one of those things I think I captured it on when it came on the uh, TV screen. You, know, you take a photograph of your telly just so you can you can see us in the dizzy heights of fourth. But uh, obviously we didn't we didn't stay there. But it was it was good to be be on a decent run at the beginning of the season. Um, the game we won two one, and uh, just briefly on the goals. But the the, the actual highlight goal of the game was actually scored by Stoke, which I'll I'll come into in a minute. We went ahead in the nineteenth minute, across uh, from uh, Matt Ritchie on the right hand side, and, and put it across to the far post. And, and uh, stealing in from the left was Christian Atsu, who virtually had a tap in from a couple of feet uh, to give us the, the lead. But then um, in the fifty seventh minute was a goal by. Uh, Sheridan Sakiri. Now he he's a player that I've I've admired all the time. Uh, you know, primarily just seeing him playing for Stoke. But it, and I, well, like well, like every other player, we've been linked with him over the years. And I, it was certainly somebody I would like to see with the the power he's got and the 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 the, the speed to get into and get the ball into the box. And, and this was a, a typical uh, Shakiri goal. Um, picked the ball up uh, out on the the right wing, cut in and and cracked it in into the bottom corner. Um, uh, the net um, with the great power from just outside the penalty area. I looked up um, Shakiri's ten best goals, and, and this one wasn't one of them. And when you look at those goals on there, there's some classics. There's an overhead kick he scored for Liverpool, I think. Some goals he scored for Switzerland in international matches, and and some screamers into the top corner. So he was a he was a player, and, and he's, he's he's given us problems over the years, uh, both in this sort of game for Stoke, and uh, he, he scored. A, for Liverpool against us, and I think he'd be laid on a couple in some other games. So he's always been a, a troublesome player. And uh, but uh, this this was a was a good goal to equalise. But um, it was only ten minutes before we regained the lead. And another uh, goal involving Matt Ritchie, who took a corner on the right. And uh, similar to what we saw last season, Lascelles became the the, the the critical goal scorer, um, and he'd scored the. He scored with a header from the, from the second game in a row, which I think he did last season, as you might remember. So, and that, that gave us a, a two uh, two one win. So, um, let's say we we uh, that was early in the season, and we, we didn't we didn't keep the the run up, but we did finish tenth. Um, and it was Rafa trying to to mould that team into a, a better team. And you might remember Kennedy came in on loan, and and uh, he got to Bravka. But it was interesting looking at the looking at the team and some of the players that we've still got compared with what we've got now, and. Arguably, you could say that we've probably got on paper better players. I know they all they all saying is they don't play on paper, but and a lot to do with the the quality of the coaching. But uh, if you look at we had, we had that the, the midfield and forwards that day were playing four three three, and it was midfield was Marino, Miguel Marino. You might remember Hayden and Richie in midfield, and Perez and Atsu and Josselu up front. Um, and if you if you compare that with possibly a midfield that might play on Sunday, Shelby. Instead of Marino, Hayden could play. Richie could play. You replace Wilson instead of Perez. ASM instead of Atsu, and even Joel Linton or Gale against Josselu. Um, arguably, we've got a better team, uh, you know. And on, as I say, on paper from now, but uh, whether we can go on and uh, be coached into being as, as good as we can be and strengthen over the years, and you know, if if we've got add to that Almiron Murphy and, and maybe Willock, Will, uh, 
if he comes in, um, fingers crossed. Uh, you know, strength-wise, we've got a reasonable squad. We just need to make sure that the, the coaching and the, the tactics are right. Um, so that was a, a good game to win. Um, as I say, we finished 10th that season. Um, but uh, it didn't work out for Rafa as he tried to build that team going forward, even though the, the following year we probably had a even a stop team, but uh, things didn't work out. That's my second game, man. Great stuff, Steve Hasty. Right, I'm going back to 2007-2008. Start of the 2007-2008 season, I was watching what was probably the worst football that I'd probably ever seen. Certainly as as an adult um, at St James's Park. Uh, I, I had no faith in the manager. I was down. I just couldn't believe what I was turning up watching week in, week out. I was causing all sorts of of downers in the pub after the match because of of my venomous attacks on on Sam Allardyce, and um, having having witnessed the a, a cup semi a cup uh, third round cup game previous Saturday, I was just like. Ah, probably never going to go back. I was, it was literally getting to that point. I was just, the football was just so dire. I picked my daughter up from school, um, half past three. Um, I remember a couple of dads asking us, are you going to the match tonight, Steve? Nat, probably never darkened the doors again. And then at four o'clock, it came on the, on the radio in the car that Kevin Keegan had taken over from Sam Allardyce, who had been sacked. Now, <coughs> even with Allardyce already gone, a list of people who had been named um, as possible coming in were Julier, Mark Hughes, who I couldn't stand anyway, and, and Didier Deschamps. Now, the, 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 the first and the last for me were just sort of typical press stories. And I thought, we're going to end up with Mark Hughes. We're going to end up with like Sam Allardyce, Mark too. And I was just so down. And then to suddenly hear that Keegan was coming up, that was it. I was out the door. And I, 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 I never eaten me look me dinner so quick, and I flew out the door. Didn't have a ticket, obviously, so I could get the ticket office. And uh, <laughs> managed to get in, managed to get a ticket. And uh, even though Kevin had absolutely nothing to do with team selection, even though he didn't turn up until about ten minutes after kickoff, <coughs> and even though even though the kickoff had been delayed for fifteen minutes because the uh, the crowd outside trying to get tickets were causing absolute chaos. And it's not like Northumbria police might suddenly turn around and be pleasant to Newcastle fans by saying, uh, hold the kickoff, lads. You, you, I'm surprised they didn't get didn't just say, get a kick off at half past seven, you know, because it, 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 the, let's face it, the number of times that we've, we've wanted games to be delayed because there's been crowd congestion and stuff like that, and it's never happened and you've missed something exciting. But this game kicked off. Um, and within, what, a matter of minutes, uh, we're one nil up. Michael Owen, <coughs> remember him? Yeah, uh, yeah. Hi, well, he's said <laughs> the better. Um, then we get sent off, and then Kachapa playing, playing the centre half alongside Stephen Taylor pops up with a goal. Um, two nil at half time. I'm looking at the team here. You know, the, the team that Nigel Pearson picked <coughs> on paper wasn't a bad team, and we've Again, Steve, how many times have we said on paper, not a bad mm-hmm. team? Yeah. Um, Carr, Taylor and Kachapa, Jose Enrique, 
Yeah, that, that's your back four. Then you had Milner, Emery, and Zogbia, and Duff. And then up front, you had Viduka and Owen. Now, on, you know, that, that, that for me is, a, you know, that it, looking at the squad that he had, you would have probably gone, that's a, that's probably the strongest team you could put out. On the bench, he had Rosenthal, he had Carroll, he had uh, Kasenga, Lawalawa, um, Harper, and young David Edgar. I mean, that was it. That was the bench. <coughs> 35,000 turned up to that game. Um, second half, James Milner, uh, he slotted one in, and then Damien Duff. Um, he made it four. That was Duff's first goal at St. James's Park. It was only second goal for Newcastle. Um, Stoke managed to pull one back, but let's face it. I mean, that game, that, that must have been the easiest game for Nigel Pearson to manage, but also the most difficult personally because he's standing on the touchline. Nobody's taking any notice of him and everyone's looking up to what's going on in director's box and everyone's so euphoric. I looked in, I looked on... On, on the internet, um, <coughs> Biffa, you talked about Biffa before, Mitch, and Biffa described the conditions for that game as utopian. And that was it. And I thought that, that's, so, that's absolutely brilliant. For the 35,108 that were in that particular ground, um, it was utopian. But what for me, what strikes me about that game is, was that the moment? When the rot set in, or actually, you know, um, because everything after that just seemed to turn to crap, didn't it? You know, yeah. I mean, the only people he signed were were um, what? Well, let's let's. There was Jimenez, Wise, and and Viteri. They were his three main signings at the end of that, or the, in, after Keegan. You know, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. Um, but. You know what? And, and and even then, even when you think about it, I mean, Allardyce only won seven games that season. Um, Kevin only managed to win four, but he managed to he managed to stop the rot just at the right time. He managed to go on a seven-game unbeaten run, and that was enough for uh, for to stop us being relegated. <coughs> and then you look at the close season, and the sold Rosenthal, the sold Milner, um. <laughs> Sold Emery, it sold Carl Ramage, but we brought in Gutierrez, we brought in Guthrie, Basson, Colacino, Colacini, uh, Cisco. But obviously, the Cisco and Gonzalez were the, were the straw that brought the camels back, bearing in mind that Kevin has subsequently said that the, the players he was looking for um, were Bastian Schweinsteiger and Sammy Hippier, you know. So he's expecting those two, and he gets he gets two players that he who he doesn't even know anything about. But um, that 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 for me, I mean, the, the, it might have been utopian for the fans, but if we look back and we'll think that was the moment where, despite everything, looking back, I bet you Ashley just thinks that that was my downfall, not the particular game itself. What he did just a short period after with the likes of Viteri and Jimenez and Wise, and and then bringing in, I mean, because it was Chris Moore who who was had a, had a big part to play in bringing Kevin, but uh, obviously he didn't last the season as well. And uh, then you had then you had the the, the sort of um, horribleness that ended up with Keegan going at basically after what one two games September he was gone. And and then the ridiculous situation of having 
of having Joe Kinnear brought in as a, as a manager who hadn't managed himself for about four or five seasons anyway. <coughs> so, you know, looking back, I just think that the buzz, the excitement, everything was there, everything was in place. And then Ashley comes in with his scythe and just goes, you know what? No, I'm not having it, lads. You're getting too excited. And uh, the rest was history. Kevin gone. The relegation, the, the end of the following season. And, uh, you know, really, I would say things have never been the same inside St. James's Park since then. Perfectly honest. Yep, I would agree. Uh, Mitch, on to you, mate. Uh, take me back to April 1990. Uh, and Newcastle United, who won five in a row, pushing for promotion. And, <coughs> excuse me, it's Stoke team who were in poor form fighting relegation had been pretty much bottom most of the season. They'd only won about four games, annoyingly one of them against us on Boxing Day. Um, but uh, this uh, this was one occasion where we went into a game favourites in a situation like this and we didn't cock it up. Um, we started like a steam train, should have had a penalty on two minutes when Brock was brought down in the box. But a minute later, uh, first goal of the, for the club by one Benny Christensen the Rolls Royce of a centre half, if ever there was, um, a centre half out of his time uh, for me, and I talk about that in a little bit later. Um, and from that minute, Stoke were done. You know, when a team just are done. Um, I, 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 seem, I seem to remember if we won the game three 0 ultimately, but the man of the match was Stoke's keeper, a lad called Fox, I think, if I remember right. Um, it was one of those games where keeper he, he was just bombarded, it was almost like training for him you know, and he was stopping it with everything he had, um, and getting zero help off his back four just about um, heads down um, it was amazing that it took another 30 minutes for the inevitable goal from Mickey Quinn that season um, I think that might have been his 39th goal or something that season, it was ridiculous um, Mark McGee should have had two, um, the amount of last gasps stops uh, they made was just ridiculous um, second half was more the same and it, again it was amazing that it took with the 70 minutes when Benny Christensen then got his second goal for the club um, and that's a hell of a goal if you if you look at what he does he brings the ball out from defence goes all almost halfway into the opposition half plays a 1-2 and then carries on and tucks it around the keeper with the outside of his foot absolute quality quality goal from a quality player and, and Benny Christensen he's somebody I would love to see in the modern game I think he was a centre half out of his time I think in the in the in the modern game, I think people would rave about him because um, he the ball skills he had. Hmm? Not his tash, though. Not his tash, <laughs> and not his running style either. Which he looked no, like he exactly. was running through. Looked like he was running through honey. You know, it was it was like, it was like quite. Raheem Sterling, he runs like how Raheem Sterling runs. Yeah, he did that foot, yeah, he the angle like he's at. Invisible handbag or something. Ah, uh, yes. Absolutely, but uh, foghorn, leghorn. But what an absolute quality player he was! You know, we, we picked up these two Danish players, uh, and they were like joking. Jeez, he had Frank Pingle, um, who is is certainly one of the worst centre forwards I've ever seen in a black and white shirt, and Benny Christensen, who was just like I say, Rolls Royce of a defender. I love the man. Um, so that's uh, that's my second game in a nutshell. Great stuff, Stu. Finish us off on the games, right, please. Yep. Yeah, my second game is Boxing Day 2013. It's uh, We win 5-1. 51,000 plus crowd to celebrate George's birthday. And 
what turned out to be a very comfortable win. Hey, because there's a lot of goals, I had to write some notes, but I remember the game started off, we, we were on a good run uh, up, up to that point, and the game started off turgid, I suppose is the right word, lacklustre, uh, and Stoke just played the normal spoiling tactics and then ended up getting control of the game. And they scored a really good goal, to be honest. They're cutting in from the inside and, and from the from the left. And then curled one at the top corner. I know one of those where that curls and doesn't matter how far the keeper dives, he's not going to get it. It just goes right to the top corner. Really good goal. But then what followed after that was probably, well, not the most, but it definitely up there in the, in the, the top levels of the most bonker five, bonkers five minutes I've seen at St. James's. Uh, I was... Uh, Back again for Christmas. No, I was, was that, yeah, I was living in uh, Lancaster at the time, so I was up anyway for Christmas, and I was at the game with the Heat. The the second, the, the it was a sending off. Uh, Remy, no, it wasn't the first. Sorry, I, I get me confused now. The first sending off was uh, Noel Whelan. He, he fouled or Glenn Whelan or something like that. One of the Whelans anyway. He fouled Kibaya twice in the space of uh, a couple of minutes. And you had the ref already booked him. The second foul was worse than the first. You know, sometimes you get the complaints like, you know, that shouldn't have been sent off. It shouldn't be sent off. But the second foul was worse than the first. And off he goes. But what was really funny was uh, Mark Hughes doing some sort of Welsh jig on the touchline, having a proper tantrum. And he's mouthing off at the ref. And the ref turns away and walks back up the pitch. Hughes carries on with this, uh, with this rant. Whatever he's uh, saying and shouting and swearing, a fourth official grasses him up, the ref marches back over, red card, and off he goes in a hoof. But the, the most comical part was he had his uh, coat and threw it on the floor like a petulant child that had been sent to his bedroom or something, and, and off he went. And then the, the game starts again, and um, like Remy gets put through. And he, he gets brought down, and it has to be. He's the last man brings him down. It's a, it's a red card and a penalty. So they've had three people sent off in the space of about four minutes. And Remy at this time hadn't scored for a while and he ends up uh, taking a penalty. Uh, unfortunately, it was a poor penalty and it was straight at the ex Macam Sorison. He saves it. But we're 1-0 down. They're down to nine men and not even Newcastle at all the time where any of us have watched it, even going back to George's first games, not even that Newcastle could mess this up. So... Uh, Ben Arthur decides to, I fancy a bit of this thing. He's getting obviously more space on the wing because of the, the need to up the middle with the nine men they've got. He does his little dance, crosses it, and without thinking, Remy, without having time to think, puts the ball away with a deflected shot. Yeah, and it goes. That was his second one, actually. But he, he, he scores, and once he's going into half time. So, what I do at half time, I'm now a proud owner of a mobile because we're in 2013. Uh, message John Carver and say, how are you? John, it's George's birthday, man. Give the lad a show. So the, the, he, he has a word with the players and they the come out all fueled up for the second half. Um, again, we start the second half, how we finish the first, then off and doing a little dazzle. And he, this time he provides the ball for Gufran to score, who, once I did a bit of research, that was his fifth goal in a row, apparently, in five games. So you think, right, we're 2-1 up. They're down to nine men. This could be a cricket score. It really could. Uh, Kabaye hits the post. Ben Arfa hits the post. Kabaye then scores the third, uh, which was a, it was a really good move. And he, you know how he used to sweep the ball into the net? Uh, he had the, the talent to do that. He, he put that in. So that was us three. Um, 
Remy scores his next one with a header that you've just shown. And then we get another penalty. By this time, Remy's been taken off. I don't think he was going to be allowed to take the next one anyway. And Papi Sisi is on. Now, Sisi hasn't scored for about 17 seasons at this stage. I mean, I don't think it was as long as that, but I, I don't think he scored that season. It was probably from the season before through injuries and not playing, whatever. But he takes the penalty and he puts it away and we're 5-1 up. There's still about 10 minutes to go. And in all fairness, we could have had at least another two penalties because I remember Ben Arthur getting body checked. And it would, any other time, it would have been definitely a penalty. But I think the ref was like thinking, I can't send someone else off and give another penalty. So it was... Superbly entertaining. It was nice to have a good win on Boxing Day. Nice to be at home on Boxing Day as well. Uh, and the hungover crowd went out and got drunk again to be hungover for the 27th. So that was my second game. Ten goals in two games. I think I've done well. Brilliant stuff. Great recollections as always, lads. I always enjoy listening to the stories. And uh, now it is time to uh, have a look at some celebrity fans. I've got to be perfectly honest, lads. Some of these are really dubious. Like, but, uh, I think you'll get all of these and I think you'll get most of the players as well. Players that play for both teams. But uh, yeah, we'll go. Slash. 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 Ash from Guns N' Roses, of course. I'm sure the uh, Stoke City fans see him at uh, every home game. <laughs> Julian, Julian Clary. Clary. Julian Clary. Julian, Julian Clary, yeah. Another uh, rather strange one. It just gets worse, by the way. Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, he's a proper Stoke fan, isn't he? Yeah, real Stoke <laughs> fan. I mean, obviously, yeah. Part of the naughty 40, I would imagine. Yeah, well, glad he wasn't. <laughs> no. Jeremy Bates. Jeremy Bates. Tennis eye. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, Nick Hancock. Hancock. And Nick Hancock, who I think is probably, along with Jeremy Bates, the only genuine ones in there. But uh, that was all I could find. Very, uh, very hard to come by celebrity uh, Stoke fans. Maybe people just not wanting to take any uh, any responsibility for it. Okay, players have played for both teams. Here we go. No right comment. No comment. Six he played for neither team, really. <laughs> Michael Owen. Well, he wore the strip. Stephen Island. Stephen Island. Stephen Island. George Easton. George Easton. George Easton. Michael O'Neill. Michael O'Neill. Michael O'Neill, current manager. Steve Gobby. Steve Gobby. Difficult to find one of them in a Stoke strip, like, but uh, also played for Port Vale. Shola. Shola. Shola Miobi, the Mackham Slayer. Oh, uh, Griffin. Andy, Andy Griffin. Griffin. Yeah, Andy yeah. Griffin. <coughs> That's it. Uh, one of the Fies. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, I'll put that one up as well. That one's Abdulli. That's Amdi. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's Amdi, exactly. yeah. Classic. Jonathan John Woodgate. Woodgate. And last but by no means least. Yeah. Shea Given. Shea Given. Yeah, given clean sweep, then okay. Uh, let's get your 1 to 11s, lads and manager. George, have you got a team for us, please? Yeah. Shea Given. Um, Jeff Nulty, Abidurley Fai, uh, Woodgate, Griffith, uh, Alan Suddick, who who ended up there, um, 
Paul Bracewell, um, Shola for all time's sake, um, John Tudor, and uh, last but not least, uh, Paul Gallagher. And my man manager would have been, because uh, I liked him as a player, I always thought he was, we didn't use him well enough as, as uh, Michael O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah, okay, good stuff. Steve Wilkinson. Yeah, um, well, I'm very, very similar to George, actually. Uh, Shea Gibbon, Andy Griffin, Woodgate, Nulty, Abdullahi Fay. Midfield, I had Paul Bracewell, George Eastham and Alan Suddick. Uh, up front, John Tudor and Shola. And I was tossing up between Michael Owen and Joss Lou, but uh, I think I'll give it to Joss Lou. And uh, I put tenuous connections, Gary Megson as uh, manager. Okay, Steve Hasty. I'd given in goal. I went for a back three of Griffin, Woodgate, and Abdu Fai. I went a midfield of uh, Guppy on one side, George Eastham on the other. Um, I had Stephen Island and Paul Bracewell as the two holding, and I had um, I <coughs> had the tallest back th back uh, front three you've ever seen. Certainly, when it come to headers, these would win everything. Uh, John Tudor. I had uh, Billy Whitehurst and I had Shola. And I also had Michael O'Neill as the manager. Okay, Mitch. Now, when we're given in goal, and then a back three of Woodgate in both the phase, and then uh, wing backs of Griffin and Guppy, and then Bracewell, Island, and Suddock in midfield, and the rascal front two of John Tudor and Jossaloo, and the manager, Michael O'Neill. Okay, and last but by no means least, uh, Stu. Very similar. Given in goal, back three. Uh, well, I did a three, three, one, three. Back three of Griffin, Faye, and Woodgate. A midfield three of Bracewell, Ireland, and Surik. And then I had George Easton behind a front three of Shola, Owen, and Jocelyn. And Michael O'Neill is the manager. Great stuff, lads, as always. Magic. Uh, yeah, great show and um, some great memories and uh, look forward to seeing you guys next week. And just a little mention, anyone who likes the retro stuff and likes the Dream Team, we are going to do something a little bit special. Uh, we're going to uh, pre-record George and Holly together. Uh, so we have the oldest supporter and the youngest supporter swapping notes on teams. So George's team is in. Just wait for Holly's. We're going to pre-record that. So that's something to look forward to. Looking forward to that anyway. Okay, see you next week, guys. Take care. Right. Cheers, Cheers, everyone.